Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Bruce Arrell, the Director of the Goodfellow Unit and a GP. And today I'm talking to Professor Pim Kalpers, who is from Amsterdam, and he'll be talking about the challenge of improving treatments for depression. He is uh, the world expert in the meta-analyses of uh, reviews of psychotherapy. So in a sense, he's the world expert on what works in terms of psychotherapies and what doesn't work. And he wrote an article in the journal of the American Medical Association last year called The Challenge of, of Improving Treatments for Depression. So welcome, Pim. Thank you. Now, could you just tell me to start with what made you write that paper? I wrote that paper because I think the field of treatment research in depression is mostly dominated by people who want to show how good their treatments are. And we know that treatments are good. I mean, they help a lot of people, but they are also limited in their effectiveness. So there's a lot of problems in getting these treatments better. On the one hand, you have a lot of people who would respond also without treatment. And on the other side, you have a lot of people who don't respond to treatment at all. And what we do with our tre current treatments is just do the things we can do in, the, in between that. And that's a pretty narrow field we can do something about. And uh, I think that's not recognized enough by researchers and also clinicians. And I think if we want to really make a difference, we should increase that number of people who really benefit from treatments. Because you make the point in the paper that most people get better anyway uh, with, with time uh, or with placebo or, or control interventions. So, exactly. so that's, that's quite an interesting thing. Yeah. So um, in primary care, of course, we see people uh, with distress and we don't really know if they have major depressive disorder or not and we're a bit leery about making big diagnoses which i think is appropriate so where where do you suggest we go with with our interventions what would you suggest we start with with the typical depressed patient whether they've got depression or anxiety i think that you should first do nothing and wait until uh, wait four to six weeks to see whether these problems go away spontaneously, which happens a lot. I think 30 to 40% of people get better anyway. Whatever, whatever you do, if you do nothing, then they also get better. And so I, th I think you should first wait for a spontaneous recovery. Mm -hmm. And if that's not enough, you st should start with, a, with an intervention that is not intensive. So for example, guided self-help with a book and some support or an internet intervention like Beating the Blues or Mood Gym or things like that. Right, yes, we've got access to, to those two things. And the other one we've got here is depression.org, which is the uh, John Kerwin uh, program. So, um, so when you say do nothing, you mean um, not necessarily refer or start drugs, um, but you'd get people exercising and expanding their social world yeah. um, and doing behavioral activation. What, yeah. what are your views on those, those interventions? Uh, I, think, I think they're good. Um, they, the, the problem is that all interventions, um, uh, people get, most people get better from, uh, uh, after a couple of months. 
and the majority of those people get better without anything and the additional benefit of treatments is really pretty small and that doesn't matter whether you talk about pharmacotherapy or psychotherapy or exercise for example and giving general advice on doing more exercise or uh, trying to do more pleasant activities etc etc i think that's good but i think that's more to boost the spontaneous recovery uh, than that it's than that it's that it really makes a difference in terms of that people get better earlier or more people get better because in primary care we like we feel like we've got to do something for people and um, and help people so offering something to do problem you know we commonly are very nice to people we listen to people we I think do that's problems, the most important problem thing. solving yeah. yeah so any thoughts on the on the sort of clinician patient relationship yeah I think the the, the what is important uh, I think the most important thing you can do as a GP is just listen to somebody take the problem seriously uh, don't wave it away as, as if it is nothing and say to people well this often goes away spontaneously if it doesn't come back uh, and I, I don't think it is needed to give people concrete advice or whatever I understand that you want to do that as a clinician but I don't think it has an additional benefit I think the most important thing is that you're there for your patient. Right, right. I think most GPs would 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 be would welcome that advice. The you you say in the paper that the relapse rate is uh, for those who respond to treatment is fifty percent over two years. Is that that's for psychological therapies and drug yeah. therapies? Well, that's for psychological therapies. Uh, for drugs, it, it's it's a bit more complicated because it depends on whether you continue to use drugs. Mm -hmm. So it's higher uh, when you stop using drugs because then the relapse rates are, I don't know the exact number, depends on the period of time. But if you continue to use drugs, then the relapse rate are lower. So the 50% after two years is for psychological treatments, but that percentage goes up to about 80% after five years. So I really think we should stop considering depression as an acute disorder and start thinking about it more as a chronic disorder uh, when we have separated out the people who spontaneously recover. Right and um, we were talking earlier um, about long-term effectiveness mm. um, so what tell us a little bit more about long-term effectiveness of psychotherapy and pharmacotherapy. That's a pretty complicated because most studies are natural they just follow patients and you don't so these are natural studies they're not controlled and you really don't know what happens when people are in the follow-up phase so to say so for example if they are if they are in a trial and received psychotherapy and they didn't get better from the psychotherapy they can say in the period after the trial okay this didn't help so I'm gonna take drugs and there's no way you can control for that kind of thing and that makes the outcomes of these studies pretty uncertain another problem is that that there are just are a few studies the studies we do have uh, they do indicate that probably the effects of psychotherapy last longer than those of pharmacotherapy so there is a, a small group of trials in which people got 
psychotherapy, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And then um, uh, one year they didn't get anything. And the people in the other arm of their randomized trials got pharmacotherapy and they continued to use uh, the drug. And then after one year, so one year after the end of the treatments, the people from the CBT group were at least as good as those who continue to take drugs. So probably uh, the effects of psychotherapy last longer and are, have a little more uh, effect than, than the drugs. Because there are in the studies in which the people stopped taking drugs during the year follow-up, uh, then CBT was definitely uh, much better than the ones who stopped taking drugs. Mm. Yeah, so I think most evidence suggests that psychotherapy mm. is a little better on the long term. Long term. That's certainly the, the, the feeling around this city is that uh, you know, CBT does seem to have a longer, um, longer benefit. And, you know, the, um, just coming back to the internet thing, the, um, so you're suggesting perhaps uh, putting people onto the internet uh, as a first step. Um, what about how guided should that be? Should we, should we, can we just say to somebody, go away and look at Mood Gym or Beating the Blues, or do we need to provide some sort of support and supervision? Yeah, as I said, the, the additional benefit of psychotherapies is really pretty small compared to doing nothing. The same is true for pharmacotherapy. But if you want to have that additional effect of psychological treatments and you deliver that through the internet, then it has to be guided. Right. So we just did a meta-analysis which, which will be published, which is accepted now in JAMA Psychiatry, in which we looked at treatment format for CBT. And we didn't find any difference between individual group, telephone-based, uh, guided self-help, but if there was no personal contact, so if, if it was unguided, then the effects were much smaller. And actually we found only effects compared to waiting list control groups and not compared to care as usual. So the, uh, the value of human beings sort of uh, comes through again, the, uh, the importance of that human contact. Yes. Does, 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 does the, when you do guided internet, uh, therapy, do you need to be with the person for the whole session or just to start them off and perhaps debrief them at the end? Or I think the most important thing is that you continue to have contact on a regular basis. So you don't even need to see the pers person. You can do that by email, by telephone. That really doesn't matter. Okay. As long as, I think that as long as people know that there is a person supervising or helping them, that's enough to motivate them to continue with the therapy because it's it's really a big thing to continue to do all this reading all the homework assignments understand everything that you read and do that every day or when it's needed that that's a big commitment and yes. the human contact i think the most important thing is that the human contact stimulates people to continue with that mm. Mm. But it's very brief. It can be only 15 minutes per week. So you, one therapist can, uh, can help dozens of patients at the same time because it takes only 15 minutes per session. 
bit like a personal trainer for the for the psycho for the for the patient, you know, yes. motivating them to do it. Because I understand that just turning on the machine and lo looking at it is actually because it's one thing to look at your your digital screens for fun. It's another thing to have to do them when you've when you've got tasks. Absolutely. So the the one of the other things you mentioned in the uh, the paper was uh, maintenance therapy for um, uh, drugs and psychological therapies. I wonder if you could say a little bit about maintenance therapies for psychological therapies, not something we're that familiar with. No, it's not. There is, there is quite some research on that. Uh, most research is on acute treatments of depression. We have now more than 600 randomized trials, so it's wow. quite a lot of research. Uh, but uh, there, And there is also a growing number of trials focusing on people who have recovered or partially recovered in order to reduce relapse rates. And that can be done with a mindfulness-based CBT or conventional CBT. And these studies show that that's actually possible. So if you give people who have, have been treated with drugs, for example, and who have recovered, if you give them a relapse preventive intervention, then you can actually reduce this 50% to maybe 30%. Still going to be quite a high relapse rate. Yes. Yeah. As I said, I think we should stop considering depression as an acute disorder. Right. And look, and look at it as a... As a as, chronic disorder. As a yes. chronic disorder. So um, you talked also a little bit in the article about chronic depression and treatment-resistant depression and how we really haven't made great inroads on that. Yes. Um, uh, could you just elaborate that on a little bit and then maybe say a little bit about ketamine, where you think that might be coming in? The most important thing is that I, that the, the most important problem is that there is very little research on this. So the, the depression is really a very important public health problem. And we have this huge problem of people, the 30% of people with depression don't respond to anything. And if I look at these 600 trials on, uh, on psychological treatments, I think only 30 of them look at chronic depression. Fortunately, the number is increasing. But there is only one therapy that has been specifically developed for chronic depression, while we have dozens of therapies for acute depression. And this 30% of people with chronic depression they are the drivers of the disease burden. Mm. The, the, the majority of the disease burden is, is in this group. And I think it's, it's really strange that we haven't mm. done research uh, on this group because they are so important from a public health perspective. I mean, we certainly see lots of patients like this in primary care. Yeah. They're still scoring high on the PHQ-9 and they're on an antidepressant and they don't want to change it in case they get worse. So yeah. the, presumably this is the group you're talking about. Yes. That, um, yes. And there's an enormous number of them in primary care. Yes. And what we usually, if you look at treatment manuals, also if you just look at the research, these people should have uh, um, uh, combined treatments. Mm. So psychotherapy and pharmacotherapy, okay. that should be the rule. Okay. Uh, and there's strong, so the, 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 the few dozen of trials on chronic depression show that combined treatments is definitely the best uh, and much better than only pharmacotherapy or only psychotherapy. Right. Um, the problem is that, that you, you can give people 
CBT or well we have this one treatment of uh, chronic depression which is CBESP specific type of uh, psychotherapy uh, but you don't know what to do when that's over and people are still not better so you and that's that's something people in specialized care also deal with that you give them a treatment you try another treatment you change drugs you find the best drug you can find and you give them a psychological treatment but what do you do when the treatment is over mm. and nobody knows that mm. and that's why i say that i that's why i think as i said it's so important to to consider depression as a chronic disorder and what do you do with people when they don't respond and maybe you can you can develop specific kinds of psychotherapies which you should use in combination with drugs or you should uh, try to first this type of therapy then that type and then that type or but there's no research on that in drugs we have the star d trial in which you uh, make the switches and look uh, what happens when you when people don't respond then you give another one and you we don't have that in psychotherapy would you mind just saying a little bit about what happened in Stardy when they went from one antidepressant, which didn't work, to the next one? What was the drop-off rate that happened each time you switched? Yeah, on average, it's about half. Right. So you can give a new drug, but the number of people responding to the new drug is lower than to the first drug. And uh, the, you can switch a third, two, second time, third time, fourth time. And on average, that goes down with about 50%. Right resulting in about 30% of people who don't respond. Right, right. So it's the, a law of decreasing returns yes. in the sense that you're not making um, any, any progress. Um, ketamine, what, any thoughts about ketamine? Yeah, a lot I, of hype. It's, it's a hype and mm. I, I'm not convinced that it will make uh, such a big difference. But what I find interesting is that, the, that it's focused on people who don't respond to treatment. Mm. And that it may be a new alternative for mm. people who, for we don't know, for this this thirty percent mm. where we don't know what to do mm. with. Mm. And so I'm 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 mostly uh, um, enthusiastic about the attempt to do something for this chronic group. Mm. We have really have to see whether ketamine. We ha we need more research on ketamine. Whether this promise will be made true. Mm. And we, we've seen many of these promises in the past decades, and uh, most of them didn't come mm. true. Mm. So uh, I'm, I'm a bit pessimistic about mm. new developments and new things. And, but I, at this moment, I think if they're focused on chronic depression, I'm enthusiastic and I hope they're going to make a difference. And in the meantime, in primary care, those people with so-called treatment-resistant uh, depression, you would suggest we get enthusiastic about perhaps the drugs and the psychotherapy with patients. I think in, in any chronic depression, combined treatments should be given. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a good take-home message for uh, us in primary care because it is a group we tend to sort of think, well, something's being tried and something's being tried and uh, we just let people carry on. Um, so that's given yeah. me some new, re um, new, new hope with things to do with patients. Um, so what are the, the priorities, do you think, for, for the research on patients with depression? I think it's very important that we stop doing research which is useless. 
and we do a lot of that research. Mm. As I said, we have 600 trials on psychotherapy for depression. And so I, we have in, in my group, we have these databases of uh, all the trials that have been done. So we update the searches every year, see what new treatments, what new trials have been done and add that to our databases. So we see what's happening every year. And I've been doing that for 10, year, ten years now. So you can, you can see what is developing. And I've seen so many trials on all kinds of subjects for which I think which are pretty useless. Uh, group therapy for older adults with diabetes. And then the author said, this is the first trial on older adults with group therapy and diabetes. But I think, well, why would group therapy not work for older adults with diabetes? This, I, I can predict what the outcome will be. Right. It works. Yes, it works. But it's not solving a public health problem. Well, the real problems, chronic depression, the, the, the problem that people, that many people get better anyway without treatments, and how do you separate them from the people who really need treatments? Uh, these, these are the real core problems, and there's nothing we do about that. And we just keep on doing all these new trials on things we really don't need. Mm. Well, I guess with the drug trials, there's potentially a commercial incentive, isn't there, to keep doing them? Um, yes. Yeah. And I don't know what the incentives are in psychotherapy, but no, there. Are, well, there there are comparable incentives. I mean, psychologists also have personal careers. Have uh, if if you've developed a therapy, you want it to be effective mm. and have a trial to show on conferences. That mm. because I mean that's how things work. And I don't think that's much, very much different from the pharmacotherapy right. field. So yeah. there's, there's sort of, sort of vested interests everywhere. Yes. 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 Yeah. And probably higher in the in the pharmaco industry and all that. But I uh, I often hear that it's not a problem in uh, psychotherapy, but that's definitely not true. Oh, that's interesting. For example, in uh, in publication bias, which is a big problem in pharmacotherapy mm. studies. Mm which is solved now because everything has to go to the FDA like organizations but we've we've done we've examined that in psychotherapy and it's it's very comparable so pim um any take home messages you've got for family doctors so um any 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 final thoughts you'd like to to give well i think uh, family doctors are very important in the treatment of depression and I think uh, because you have this confidential relationship with all your patients, you have a unique position to help people with depression, which no other profession has. And so I think that's, uh, that's, that's the most important thing, that you are there for your patients, that if they come to you and they talk about that they feel depressed or you recognize a symptom, that you take that seriously and help people on the road, so to say, to, to treatment if they need it and stop them from taking treatments which will probably not benefit from them. That's just as important as giving them good treatments. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Pim. It's been a real pleasure and honor to be able to interview you. Thank, thank you. you.